0: Church, celebrate this truth.
1: The flaming tongues of God, praise the man.
0: I was breathing, I was breathing but not
1: alive, all my
0: failures, all my failures. Good morning church, I'd like to invite you to stand, let's sing and celebrate.
1: I was buried beneath my shame. What could carry that kind of weight?
0: It was my turn
1: Till I met you I was breathing but not alive All my failures All my failures
0: was my turn
1: till I made you You call
2: Southview we're really glad you're here today and by the way we hope you have a safe and a happy Labor Day weekend now here's our three big announcements for this week the month of September is when we began considering deacons for the upcoming calendar year we ask you to please prayerfully consider men of strong character and a deep commitment to Christ that you think may be qualified for this very important role you can submit as many names as you like simply text the word deacon to 910-424-1298. Hey guys, if you haven't already signed up for the men's breakfast, it's this coming Saturday, September the 9th at 8 a.m. We ask you to do so because it's a great time to get plugged in to like-minded believers and a great fellowship. Simply text the word breakfast to 910-424-1298. Speaking of getting plugged in, If you want to become a member here at Southview, it's easy. The new membership classes begin this coming Sunday, September the 10th, and run through September the 24th. Classes are held at 9.30 a.m. each Sunday morning. It tells you why it's important to be part of a local body of believers. Simply text the word MEMBERS to 910-424-1298. Also, our Fall Equip classes began this coming Sunday, September the 10th. You can text the word EQUIP to 910-424-1298 to see what classes are available. Now, these classes meet at different times in different days, and they fill up pretty quick. Class size is limited, so we urge you to sign up today. We encourage you to download the Southview Baptist Church app from iTunes or Google Play. It will allow you to view other announcements, find a journey group, see previous sermons, or download the notes for today's message. There are multiple ways you can give here at Southview. You can do it safely and securely on our church app, or you can drop your gifts off in the giving boxes located in the sanctuary. If you're a visitor with us today, we really do appreciate you choosing to worship and visit with us. We'd like to get to know you better and you can help us accomplish that by simply texting the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298 and we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Let's continue to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we stand and worship through a all.
0: Yes, we'll continue to sing with me and celebrate you guys stand and let's continue to worship the God of ages, the only, the one true God, the God who never fails and never changes. my help is on the way my help is on the way Oh, oh my extolling the virtues of God and all the things that he is, the everlasting, you know, the perfect creator. And I'm thinking while we're singing, man, I really fall short, you know, like I'm not even in the, I'm not able, but then I'm reminded since then we have a great high priest who has passed through heavens, through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He goes on, the author says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's wonderful that that as a believer it doesn't matter my moral walk is not what qualifies me, right? It is the blood of Christ. And so you can take solace in that church. that is only the work of Christ, believing by faith that he is who he says he is, that he's done what he says he's done, and he has cleansed us of all unrighteousness. So we can stand before a holy God and sing these songs without fear of retribution. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Let's continue to sing and celebrate the greatness of our God.
3: Well, good morning. How are we, guys? All right. Glad to have you with us today. If you're a guest with us, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. So glad that you are here. You are the few, the proud, the brave that stayed in town this weekend. And we're so glad to have you with us, worshiping the Lord today. Got a really special treat for you today. Um, a buddy of mine, Wade Parker, is going to come and preach here just for a moment, in just a, a second here, and we'll uh, tell you a little bit more about him in just a moment. But a couple of quick um, uh, housekeeping things: we want to just let you be aware of. Uh, first of all, uh, next Sunday, September 10th, we begin a fall series. We're going to do four weeks. Uh, Uh, through a series called Design, God's Plan for Sex. And so we're going to just take a big 30,000-foot view of what the Bible teaches on sex and sexuality and how our society has taken God's design and really warped it in a lot of ways. I'm really looking forward to this series. My prayer for us in this series is that this is going to really be an opportunity for some people to, to really be set free. God desires for people to be set free uh, by the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. And this particular subject is obviously something that um, is uh, a big deal in our society. And one of the questions that I've gotten... Over the last couple of weeks coming up to this series, okay, what about kids? You know, what should kids do? Should kids be in? And so uh, we have a fantastic kids ministry that goes up through elementary. Um, And so I encourage you, if uh, your kids aren't plugged into that, I encourage you, maybe you want to try that. But especially for middle school and up, I really strongly encourage you to have your kids in here and be a part of this. Um, I'll be very tactful in the way that we go about it. I'll probably mess up a few times, but I'll try really hard to be very tactful in the way we go about this. But I think it's important for our kids to be in and be in all this um, because uh, they are being bombarded, bombarded with things that you never even ima- The things that you were struggling with or tempted with at 16 or 17, you're 11-year-old is being thrown at right and and even more so there are things that they're doubting and questioning that never would have crossed your mind to even fathom and so uh we want to make sure that our kids are well equipped with the truth of god's word so that's going to be starting next sunday really really excited about that uh second thing is if you were a part of our 11 o'clock service last week. Uh, You may have noticed that there was a little extra commotion uh, uh, towards the beginning of the service. We've had some questions about, hey, what was going on? Um, Everything all right? You know, Yes, everything's perfectly fine. There was never any uh, issue or concern, no security or safety threat or anything like that. Uh, I can assure you of that. Uh, we take that stuff very seriously. We have an officer on site here every single Sunday. We have a security team that's walking the campus constantly. There isn't a square inch of this facility that does not have eyes on it at any second of the day. Um, and uh, if there ever was a concern, we have strict protocols we jump into that, and a part of that would be you being a informed quickly and promptly uh so i can promise you everything's perfectly fine uh all was all was good there uh but today we have the opportunity today uh to hear from again my buddy wade uh wade and i have known each other for i guess 20 years now a long time and so um we're uh uh Excited today, Wade comes today from the Baptist Children's Home of North Carolina, uh, and so he's going to come and share uh, just what God's doing there uh, uh, and how we can be a part of that. And here's a couple of big what. Why are we doing this today? A few reasons. Number one is this. Um, I know just you personally, God is going to use the word that Wade brings just to uh, uh, encourage and convict and edify you just in your own personal walk with the Lord. Second, uh, we often get the question, why are we Southern Baptists? Uh, And and you're going to find out today why that is. Because we're Southern Baptists, we're able to partner with the other 4,000 North Carolina Southern Baptist churches and accomplish things together. We could never ever do just by ourselves at Southview. So we partner together to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. And the third thing is this. We're praying right now that God will move on hearts in this room today to actively do something about Caring for children in our state who are in need of love and care and support in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the book of James, it says that pure and undefiled religion is this that you care for orphans and widows. And so, caring for those who are in the most need is how we live out the faith. So, so excited today to uh, hear. Uh, the word coming from Wade and to hear the great things that are happening there in the Baptist Children's Home and what we could be uh, do to be a part of that. So I'm going to ask Wade to come up. I'm going to pray for him and let him go. So Lord Jesus, I just thank you for Wade. I thank you for his friendship, for his love for you and love for kids and uh, seeing, spending his life, devoting his life to seeing kids touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ and ministered to and uh helped. Uh, And Lord, I just thank you for that. I pray God for him today as he preaches, Lord, that you will just empower him. And Spirit of God, you would speak so clearly to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much uh, this morning
4: uh, for allowing me to be here. Um, If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, (coughs) we're going to be in Psalm chapter 3 this morning. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm so sorry. Psalm Psalm chapter 3 this morning. I am grateful for your pastor and uh, for his wife. I'm grateful for uh, their friendship to me for 20 years. I was joking earlier that um, they age like wine and I age like milk and it's ridiculous just um, how that is possible. Um, I truly believe you guys have one of the best preachers in the state of North Carolina as your pastor. Um, I mean, I really, I mean that. he, he and I went to, I didn't say this the first service, went out. we went to seminary together, and he won the preaching award, and I barely graduated, and that's just the truth, that's just how things work, uh, but I'm grateful to God for him, I'm grateful for how he loves you, um, he's a pastor, he's not just a preacher, and I'm grateful for him, so all right, that's enough about you, all right, um, man, if you have your Bibles, listen, I, I, I work for the Baptist Children's Homes of North Carolina, and you as uh, Baptists uh, support what we do. And you might say, well, I, I don't know anything uh, about who you are or what you do. Well, let me just give you an overview. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because I, I really want to dive into Psalm 3. Uh, but you, you helped serve over 1,275 children last year. Um, through our ministry, we saw 111 children come to faith in Christ. In the last five years, we've seen 694 children. Come to faith in Christ. You have helped us foster children all throughout the state. You have helped us do uh, adoption, both domestically and internationally. You have helped us serve single moms of whom I am the product of a single mother. Uh, You have have helped us serve the least of these. We have a birth mom ministry where after a mother places her child and chooses adoption for her child, she can come live in this house rent-free for a year, get counseling, get help, um, we, as the as the dad of an adopted daughter, uh, I am grateful that you serve and allow us to minister to um, to the least of these. There are ten thousand children in the state of North Carolina in the foster care system. Last night, ninety children slept in DSS offices across our state. What do you mean? <clears throat> Normally when a child is pulled from their home for abuse or neglect or something, they're given what's called 10 minutes in a trash bag. They're given a trash bag and 10 minutes to get out of their house. Normally we would take them to one of our primary uh, cottage facilities. One of them is in Lumberton, one's in Kinston, one's in Thomasville, one's out near Asheville. But if there's no place available for that, we would call a foster family. And if there's no foster family a DSS worker will sleep in their office with these kids and they'll sleep on the floor or they'll sleep in a chair or they'll sleep on an on a, on a old couch. We have kids that come to us who have been used as punching bags and ashtrays. Kids who have been uh, abused, neglected, abandoned. We had a kid in Crabtree Valley Mall. He and his mom walked in, 12 years old. He walked to the Lego store because that's what every 12-year-old does. And his mom walked in, walked straight out. We have not seen her since. She abandoned him. Not thousands of miles away. Just a few miles. And you say, why would you tell me all this? Because we have an epidemic in this state, and it's not what you think. The epidemic in this state is child homelessness. And it's not the government's job to take care of this. It's not a political statement. This is a biblical statement. It's the church's job. And so what I want to do today is I want to share with you, I I just want to take a few minutes and share some stories with you, but speak to you from God's word just how important this is and what it is we say to kids who come into our ministry who are hurt and broken. 1,200 children, all that have stories, all that have brokenness, all that have depression, anger, frustration, hurt, abuse, neglect. What do you say to them? What do you, what are you as a church going to say when those kids were right outside your door? There was a kid seven miles from this campus. What are you going to say to them? By God's grace, I just want to walk quickly through that with you, if that's okay. Psalm chapter three, let's read it. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in god but you o oh lord are a shield about me my glory and the lifter of my head i cried aloud to the lord and he answered me from his holy hill i lay down and slept and i woke again for the lord sustained me i will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around arise o oh lord save me o oh my god for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked salvation belongs to the lord your blessing be on your people. This was written by David at an incredibly difficult time in his life. Second Samuel tells us that the conspiracy against David grew large and his son Absalom was the one behind it. So, So David had a son. David was king. David had a son. His son decided he wanted to be ruler over all. So he starts to make false accusations against his dad, starts to grow a a group of people to support him and follow him. And conspiracy started to go against David to the point that David had to flee for his life. So the psalmist tells us the Psalm 3 tells us that this is written by David when he was on the run from his son Absalom. Now I imagine he wrote it in one of three places. He either wrote it uh, sitting in a cave by himself. He either wrote it maybe in a field under a tree. But I think he wrote it in the only place he was safe and felt uh, uh, whole. And that was a shepherd sitting on a mountainside overlooking sheep. Wherever he was, he was going through it all. Anger, frustration, depression, hurt. Have you ever been told these are bad things? Let me, let me explain something to you. Every one of us feel these things. You're, you're not a bad person for feeling any of that. And we deal with kids every day who have trauma and pain and hurt. Listen, I, <laughs> we had two kids come in. Their dad would uh, drink a lot. And then um, after he was done drinking, he would would have them run back and forth in the living room and he would sit on the couch and he'd just throw beer bottles at them for sport. They would shatter and they'd stick into their bodies. Everybody has trauma, everybody has hurt. And everybody is wondering what in the world is going on And who in the world would allow it? David was no different. And so what we want every kid to know that comes into our ministry is number one, God wants to hear from you. God wants you to give voice to your suffering. It's it's mind-blowing to me that we can call ourselves a church church and yet not at all function the way a church ought to function. Have you ever asked somebody how they're doing at church? What do they normally say? I'm blessed. Might be true. But what if we were honest? What if somebody said, wait, how you doing? And I said, hey, let me, let me, let me tell you, I'm, I'm struggling right now um, with worthiness. Um, I, I don't feel worthy to stand before you today. I don't feel worthy to open the scriptures. Why? Because I, I know what's in here, I know what's in here, and I know what comes out of here. Or I'm struggling with trust because, man, I, I got trust issues, and they go back my whole life. I struggle with fear. I'm afraid everybody's going to leave me, everybody's going to hate me, everybody's going to abandon me, because that's all I know. David, look, look what David said. Oh, hey, oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are, yeah. so David's basically going, hey God, uh, I don't know if you're paying attention, but uh, there's some people against me. It's not good. You told me I was king. You told me you would protect me. You told me I was a man after your own heart. How in the world is someone who's a man after your own heart hiding in a cave, sitting on a hillside, being run off by his own son? How is that good? gave voice to his son. Listen, the, these kids come to us and they say, I just don't understand. Why would my mom abandon me, Wade? Why, 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 would, why would my parents leave? We had a 13-year-old kid at Kennedy home. He's six foot three, 315 pounds. The biggest young man I've ever seen in my life. Size 15 shoe. His mom lives in Kinston, never comes to see him. His dad, the last time he saw him, said he wished he'd never been born. And he looked me in my eyes and he said, wait, I don't understand why nobody on this earth loves me except for people at Kennedy Home. What am I supposed to say to that? You know what I am going to say? I'm going to tell him that God loves him. You know what I'm not going to do? Is I'm not going to say it in a way that makes him believe that I don't believe it. I hate math. Math is one of the many tools of Satan. Put on this earth to hurt us. Um, it hurts my brain. It hurts my heart. It hurts my feelings. Uh, I still They try to find me ex. I'm not finding any of my exes ever. I don't do that anymore. I'm done. I'm just done. If you're a math teacher here, I apologize for all of that. Um, I'm going to teach you a math problem this morning that I have never forgotten. It's burned into my soul. What you say you believe plus what you do equals what you actually believe. When these kids come to us and, they, and they, they say those things, hey, 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 you say God loves us, you say God is there for us, you say God cares about us, um, d- does he know that my dad beat me to within an inch of my life? Does he know that my, uh, we have a 12-year-old girl, she for the last four years, has been sold uh, physically and sold as property uh, from age eight to age 12. Not thousands of miles away, uh, probably 84 miles from, the, from here. And that little girl will look at you and go, why did my grandfather and my uncle sell me? Do you really think God loves me? Because David asked the same thing. He said, many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him and God. So not only are people against me physically, David said, David's saying, even they're saying you don't love me, even though uh, you told me you love me. Your law teaches me that you love me, but people are telling me that you love me. We teach these kids to be honest, to, to have conversation with God. God's not afraid of our questions. He's not sitting in heaven going, man, I hope Wade doesn't ask that question because I just can't answer it. He wants us to be honest. And so we teach these kids, God desires to hear from me. But you know what? I actually believe God desires to hear from us. Do you pray like you think God desires to hear from me? Do you pray thinking that God hears you? We'll talk about that in a minute. I've seen these kids pray and and with with smiles on their faces. And they'll pray. And they will talk to God and they will be honest and real before him. God desires to hear from you folks. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear your fears, your complaints your frustrations, your hopes, and your dreams. But that's not the end of it. If that was the end of it, that would not be great. But secondly, we want them to understand verses three through six. We want them to understand not only does God want to hear from them, God has not abandoned them. It's, it's, it's easy to talk about God in like this far-off way, like God loves me, God loves you, like we're Barney or something. I don't know. But we, we, we talk about God in this, in this far-off way, but do we, do we actually believe that God is? cares about us, that God has not abandoned us. We live our lives saying that we love, we sing songs, that God, we love God, he loves us, he's he's great and wonderful, and we act like this world is out of his hands. We freak out over the littlest of things. God wants us to give voice to to our suffering, but we got to remember he's not abandoned us. Look what he says. It's as if David snaps out of it. Like, God, are you there? God, they're saying you don't love me, but wait, you, oh Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. Couple things there. You, oh Lord, are a shield about me. We teach every child that God protects them. That God protects them. And that may sound weird coming from the situations that they're in. It may sound weird if you've been hurt or abandoned or abused that somehow God might be protecting you. But I try to remind them and hope that they understand the big picture, the bigger picture, that God sees all things, even the things we can see and even the things we can't see. That's why the Bible says God is a shield all around us. He sees what we see and then he sees things we don't and he protects us in the midst of it. We had a young girl, she was walking uh, three-quarters of a mile to the bus stop every day and three-quarters of a mile home from the bus stop every day. Uh, her mom would show up every two weeks to pick up drug money, and that was it. Dad wasn't in the picture. She wanted a better life for herself, so she was making it her job to go to school, to get the best grades that she can, to get out of that cycle and to be who God wanted her to be. Well, some men found out that she was alone. and One day she was walking back from the bus stop And several men pulled up, grabbed her, threw her in a car to traffic her. But if you know this girl, she don't go down easy. And so she started kicking herself out of the car. She kicked the door open, jumped from the car, broke both her legs, and crawled to safety. Do you know what she said? God knew where I was going to jump and put a house there. Do you have that kind of faith? I don't have that kind of faith. I don't have that kind of big picture in my heart. I know it sounds weird coming from somebody standing up here, but but you have to understand me. I don't have that big a picture in regards to God. I can't see that far ahead. I don't know that I have that much faith. I'm striving to every day. She understood what I'm trying to remind myself of every day. God is in the The business of blessing and protecting me, even when I don't see it. I have been hurt. (laughs) I've been hurt by people who shouldn't hurt you. And all that time, God was with me. He was protecting me. God was protecting. We teach them that God is enough. David said that God is his glory. God is his glory. He has glory coming out of his ears, man. He is the king over the known world. He's the most popular, uh, loved, revered, uh, feared man in the entire known world. And at that moment, he says that that glory doesn't matter. The glory that matters is the glory that I find in God. Why? Because everything else can be taken from us. We can lose it all. We, everything can be taken from us. We can, can go from, from uh, uh, plenty to nothing in the moment's notice. And if we're holding on to anything other than him, we're done. God has to be our everything. So we teach these kids, listen, your situation is, is bad and, and it's, and, it's, and it's rough, and, and uh, sometimes it's unimaginable. But we want you to trust God in the midst of it. We want you to understand that he loves you. We want you to understand that he's there for you, that he's enough. No matter what, nothing else matters other than Christ. And then we teach them that not only is he enough, but that he restores. The Bible said he's the lifter of our head. I love that. I love that. Because... Because uh, I mess up a lot, um, a, a lot. And the idea that messing up doesn't uh, equate to how somebody feels about me is pretty awesome. And I've never understood that more than when I became a parent. Um, I don't know what I'm doing on my best day. I certainly don't know what I'm doing on my worst day. But my son is me. He is me. Sadly, he's got my DNA. I keep telling him, "This is your future, bro." I'm so sorry. It's not good. Hopefully, a girl will like you for your personality, like your mom likes me. But everything else is done. But he's just like me in that, like he, if 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 he's done something wrong, he can't hide it. He'll put his hands behind his back. He'll duck his head down. He'll walk over. And I've got a choice in that moment to do one of two things, to continue to pile on his hurt or to lift his head, tell him that he's loved by his father and embrace him. Now, which one does he walk away better? Which one does he walk away understanding who he is? Which one does he walk away from knowing that there's somebody out there that loves him? Is there a time for discipline? Yes. But not in that moment. These kids have been beaten and and just, just beaten. So we're trying to teach them that God loves them, that God's there for them, that God will lift their head, but also that God, He's accessible, He's there verse five says, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Just real quick on that. I cried, he answered. That's what I want to focus on. Uh, there's not a time in my life where my, I have a six year old daughter and, uh, cause God was like, you're 40. Here's a baby. Cause God has of humor. And my six year old daughter, uh, she has night terrors sometimes, but they're never night terrors at 10 PM. They're night terrors at like 3 AM. Um, And so like she'll start screaming and I'm bouncing out of bed, bouncing off the walls, kicking coffee tables and, you know, stepping on Legos. It's just, it's a war zone out there. It's terrible. It's horrible. I'm never not going to go to my daughter. Why? Because I'm her dad and she cried out. We teach every one of these kids, man, that God is going to come to you no matter what. You cry out, he hears you. We had two boys who, um, they were living in a tent down by a creek. Um, and they, uh, they were taking care of their mom. Their mom was strung out on drugs and she was in the tent. She didn't move hardly. They were going to school. They were washing their clothes in the creek. They only had two, one pair of clothes. And they were washing them every day in the creek. And they were going to school. And they were stealing food from the cafeteria to feed their mom. And we found out about them, we brought them in, we got their mom help. Um, but they came into to our cottages at Kennedy Home in Kinston. And the young boy, I think he was, he was nine, he walked in and there's a bed made and there's you know blankets and pillows and uh, if they need clothes, we go buy them clothes immediately. And um, there was just all this stuff. And he said, is all that for me? Is that bed for me? It's big for those kids to have a bed. And we said, yeah. And under his breath, where he thought nobody could hear, he said, God does hear my prayer. What if we lived in such a way where we actually believe that God does hear our prayers? Look what happens. So David's walking through this. He's kind of reminded himself of what he said. He said, verse five, I lay down and slept and I woke again for the Lord sustained me. He rested. Why did he rest? He he rested because God sustained him. I have forgotten what it's like to get a good night's sleep since having kids. Um, maybe you get good night's sleeps, and I hate you for it. But I uh, don't. Uh, my son could win championship of the free world in sleeping. Like I like that kid will go to sleep nine hours. Just done. He, he like, I have to put a mirror under his nose to make sure he's alive. Like that kid can sleep. He is, he is the champion. You want to know why? It's because he doesn't wonder where his next meal is going to come from. Because he doesn't wonder about the mortgage. He's not worried about whether or not there's going to be air conditioning or heating. He's not worried about the roof over his head, or if there's going to be gas in the car or uh, any of that, or if there's Wi-Fi, he's not Why? Because his mom and dad's got it. Those two boys, when we brought them in, they slept for 20 straight hours the first night they were with us. There's something about knowing that somebody's there and they've got you that allows you to rest. When was the last time you really rested in the Lord? When was the last time you really believed he's got you? Again, we say it all the time, but when was the last time... We believed it. What you say you believe plus what you do equals what you actually believe. Then verse six, he's talked himself out of all the frustration he had. Verse one and two, God, everybody's against me. I'm scared. Verse six, I'm not gonna be afraid of many thousands of people who've set themselves against me all around. There's something about resting in God. And then lastly, verse seven and eight, we want them to understand that he will set things right. That sounds good, right? Sounds like we could put that on a t-shirt and sell it and it'd be pretty, pretty successful. But do we believe it? We, we say that when things are going well, but what, what about when things are going bad? You might even be saying, Wade, that's easy for you to say. You, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what people have done to me. You don't know the hurt that I've got in my life. Yeah. Um, I am a terrible, my mind is horrible. I have the worst memory in this room. In fact, uh, Brad put me up in a hotel last night. Had I not set an alarm to remind me to be here, I would have still been in the hotel going, I'm supposed to be somewhere, but I don't have any idea where I'm supposed to be. I can't remember what I had for lunch last week. It's, It's bad. If it weren't for iPhones and reminders, my life would be a mess. I remember what was playing on the radio the day my dad left, 35, 37 years ago. My dad was an army recruiter in DC. My mom worked for the Pentagon. And we were in base housing and my dad had got mad about something. And he lunged toward me. All I remember, he lunged toward me. My mom threw herself in between he and I, and they got into a scuffle and he had ripped her shirt and there was blood. That's all I know. And he told her to get out and told me to get out. And so we packed as much as we could. We threw it in our, in our Dotson station wagon. We got in the car. Turned on the car in Love in the First Degree by Alabama was playing on the radio. I will never forget. My mom was wearing a green shirt. I will never forget it to this day. And my dad kicked us out. And so we found um, a room to rent outside of the city. And my dad asked for orders to Ramstein Air Force Base in Germany to guard nuclear warheads. And he took his military benefits and military housing with him. And so we went from renting and doing what we can. And I, I, I didn't tell this in the first service, but we went to Woodbridge Baptist Church. We, we knocked on their door. My mom was doing the best that she could, working as hard as she could. She'd get up at 4.30 in the morning, put me in the car, drive me to, uh, to daycare so that she could get to the Pentagon by seven. <clears throat> and we knocked on the door because we needed help. We, we just needed some help. And they looked at my mom and said, we don't help your kind. And, uh, um, and so um so we 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 did the best that we could um and i hated my dad the, the the absolute white hot anger in my soul for that man was oh, so much so that when he moved back when he moved back he 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 skirted doing anything for us and child support. He took jobs that paid cash so he didn't have to pay child support. He, he uh, called him when my grandfather died and asked him to come spend time with me, be there for me. He said no. Um, I left a ticket for him at my high school graduation. My grandmother didn't even get to go to it because I left a ticket for him and he wouldn't come. Um, I, 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 so right after graduation, I drove to Tennessee because that's where he lived and I knocked on his door and I, I can't tell you what I said. But I did say this. Dad, I believe there's a heaven and hell. I believe there's a God and I hope you burn in hell. And I drove away. And listen, everybody told me that I was justified in feeling that way. Everybody told me I was justified in feeling that way. In fact, they would say, your dad has a special place in hell for people like that. funny thing happened. I went to East Carolina and I met Jesus. And I know of all the things that you can get at East Carolina, Jesus is not on the top of, it's just not. It's, you, I didn't even know he's there, but he is. Um, and man, like he, like he radically, oh, I can't, I've not got over getting saved. He, uh, he just, he radically changed me. And he called me. To serve Him, and, and He would not leave me alone. Every Bible study I went to, every passage of Scripture I read, and every blessed sermon that I heard uh, was about forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation. You may say, "Why are you telling me this?" Because verse seven and eight say, uh, "God, it's God's job to judge." Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, and you break the teeth of the wicked. And that sounds good. We want the people to hurt that hurt us to hurt worse. Your pastor's not looking. You can shake your head yes, because we all feel that way. But look at verse 8. It says, salvation is completely dependent upon God. And if salvation is completely God's, then so is vengeance. And he wouldn't leave me alone about it. And so I got in my truck, and I drove back through the mountains of Tennessee, and I pulled up to his house again three years later, and I knocked on his door, and I said, Dad, will you forgive me? He said, why would you ask me that? And I said, dad, the God of creation who spun this world into being just by speaking has forgiven me. He forgave me at my dirtiest, at my worst. The Bible says that Christ demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He loved me at my worst, dad. The least I can do is love you at your worst. And it began just a seven-year reconciliation with my dad. Came to my college graduation. He he was in my wedding. I mean, like a prominent part of my wedding. He wasn't in the back. He was up front. He sat in a place of honor. Came to my seminary graduation. Brad and I graduated seminary. Different thoughts about graduation. He was listening. I was fearful that church history was going to flunk me. Um, So I didn't hear anything that was said, but our president, seminary president, preached the greatest evangelical message I've never heard. Because I come down off those steps at Binkley Chapel. It's right there in the middle of the campus. And my dad is standing, I'll see it to this day. My dad was standing at the foot of those steps weeping. And I thought he was, because he was proud of his old, you know. And he was. But I walked back down on those steps and he looked at me and he said, he said, son, I don't know what to do with what that man said today. Can you give me some time and talk to me about it later? I said, yeah, dad. Six months later, I led my dad to faith in Christ. And he passed away soon after that of cancer. And so, I, so I didn't get a whole lot of time with him. But I spoke at his funeral, and, 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 I, and I speak to this. I spoke about the grace of God. We love the grace of God when it's being extended to us. We hate it when we have to extend it to others. We judge everybody based on the law, and we want ourselves to be judged based on grace. I have seen kids who have been beaten and bruised, who have permanent scars on their bodies, pray prayers of healing and and hope for the ones who abuse them that make me question whether or not I know Jesus. Anger is a horrible thing, folks. It's like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. We try to teach every one of these kids to trust in God because he'll take care of it. That's what he calls us to do. And that's what he calls you to do. And David ends this beautiful psalm and it's, it's this beautiful kind of outworking of, of our thoughts and our feelings and who we are. And it's something we want every child to know. I want every believer to know that you are loved by the Father in heaven, no matter what. We do great things where we are, but we cannot do it without you. I want to close with this. I want to to give you three things you can help us with will you pray for us? I've already asked your pastor to to put it on. I know churches have bathrooms and prayer lists. I know that. That's just, I just know that. So will you guys pray for us? Systematically pray for us. Weekly pray for us. We need house parents desperately. We could have 50 kids at Kennedy Home in Kinston. Right now we have nine. Not because we don't have houses, not because we don't have food, not because we don't have beds. They're all made. They're all prepared. It's because we don't have people to take care of kids. We turn kids away every day. We need foster parents. If every Baptist church in the state of North Carolina would say, we're going to find three families at least to be foster parents in our community, we could eradicate homelessness in this state. We need you to participate. Odom Home is less than 50 miles from here. We need you to come and be a part of what we're doing. It's right on the campus of UNC Pembroke. I mean, it is literally right across the street. We need your help. And lastly, and I'm a good Baptist preacher, I got to do it at some point, we're going to ask you to give money. Are you serious? Yeah, I've done worse for less. So just going to go ahead and let you know that. Yeah, we're going to ask you to give. Yeah, if you need me to beg, I'll do it. I'm not too afraid. But instead of telling you why we need you to give, can I show you a quick video, and then I'll come up and say just something really quick at the end? But will you watch this video? Will you open your heart and say, "Say, Lord, what are you trying to tell me from this video?"
5: Tyrell was 13 years old when we learned about his story.
6: We had tried to have children and. Um, God did not bless us with children, um, and so we decided to become foster parents.
5: One night after church, we just went home and prayed and just gave it to the Lord and said, Lord, if um, you want us to do this, would your hand be on us? And we have seen his hand in every single step. Mm -hmm. When we um, first started working with Baptist Children's Home, we were very connected with Jessie Chilson, and she brought Tyrell's case to us, and our hearts were bonded, and Jessie brought Tyrell to our home.
6: Never forget when that door opened. And he got out and he gave us hugs. And he walked towards the house. Um, he had no shoes on. His feet were wrapped up because he had wounds. And they gave him a walker. He walked in through that door, put his walker down, and never used it again. He owned it. When he walked in this house, there was no looking back. He just walked in and became part of the house.
5: Tyrell's past. Basically, has been defined by neglect.
6: He had the only toys. The only toys we know about was a set of blocks, yet nothing.
5: Every aspect of his life, we've had to train him. He didn't know emotions when he came to our home, and he was he was really short and small. Um, he had really long arms. We knew, knew he should have been much taller. In the last year and a half, he has grown and gained at least 50 pounds. Tyrell had never been to school. When his family members were asked why they didn't send him to school, they said it was because, because he wasn't worth the gas to take him. I cried when I heard that as a, um, as a previous teacher, I just really wanted to see him grow up and have an opportunity at life.
6: When he first came, his verbal skills were lacking. Uh, it was mostly pointing and saying a word.
5: I would work with him a little bit in the morning before I'd go to work. Then John would work with Tyrell during the day a little bit. And then I'd come back home and work with him a little bit more. My mother-in-law and I tutored him and got him to where he could start second grade. So, his first year of school was doing second grade. And he has completed a whole year of second grade and has done well. And now he's doing third grade.
6: He's doing really well. Yeah. He's, he's really good at math and um, those facts. And he, he can memorize. He's a really memorizing well. beast. <laughs> we, we try to do a lot of activities, and, and he enjoys them all. My dad has a Corvette, so sometimes we'll go for a ride in that. I picked him up for school one day. Um, I have a fishing boat, so we go fishing. He loves fishing. He loves catfish. I got one. <laughs> Reel it in. Reel it all the way up.
7: I went fishing with John, and I caught first fish, and it was called bluegill.
2: And
6: foster parents struggle with not getting to experience life with their children, some of the earlier life stages, and we're getting to experience all that still, and it's awesome.
7: Last year, um, we had a baseball game, and. I get to throw first pitch, and it was good.
6: I was just excited to watch him do that, um, and just the opportunity and the and the love people were pouring on him. Tyrell is an awesome kid. I mean, he's just incredible. He's defined by happiness. He's always happy, um, and it's brought a lot of happiness to us. Um, Tyrell's life direction is changed because of Baptist Children's Home. I don't think we could do this without Baptist Children's Home. Um, the, the support we get is unbelievable. The training and the um, the texts, hey, are you guys doing okay? Our original goal was foster to adopt. And the training changed our heart to go wherever God wanted, wanted us to go. And the children we've gotten, or at least um, Tyrell was a foster to adopt almost immediately and we knew God was in that.
7: We were just like, wow. My favorite thing in my room is this bed.
6: Tyrell's excited about life. Um, The other day he came up to my wife and said, I feel like I have my life now. He is the, I mean, he he is like the perfect child. He's polite, he's um, kind. He's got a whole life ahead of him and it, the direction of it has been changed because of the people that have given to Baptist Children's Home.
5: And that has multiplied greatly because there are so many other children that Baptist Children's Home ministers to. It's touching so many lives and those lives are able to be pointed to Jesus. Mm-hmm.
6: I see him getting saved eventually.
7: For God is so the love of the world that he gave his only begotten his son then who forever shall believe in
5: the shall not perish, but have a very life. We need to praise God for all that he's done for us and how he's helped Tyrell, how he's um, put our lives together. God's worthy.
4: Two things. Um, I think we'll stand before Jesus and, and thankfully we won't have to give an account for our salvation. It's been paid for. Um, and I'm grateful to God for that. I think we will have to answer for some things. I don't think Jesus will look at me one day and say, I think you cared about kids too much, Wade. But I think he will say "You lived in the most prosperous nation at its most prosperous time, yet every opportunity, and there were kids six miles from you that needed you. And I know it's going to hurt. Foster care hurts. I hear people say all the time, "Man, I just don't want to take little Susie in and get to love her, and then all of a sudden, uh, when they take her away, it'll it'll hurt too bad." Let me let me say this, and I say this with as much grace as possible. I don't care. It's worth your hurt. Not only that, it's worth those kids seeing you hurt. Because at some point, somebody needs to know that there's somebody out there that loves them enough to cry and weep when they leave. I'm begging you. As a good preacher, you're not supposed to know how to close a service. I don't know. We're going to sing. Will you will you pray about what God is calling you to do?
0: And while you consider these heavy things, consider the God we serve and what He's done for you and for me. You know, to be the hands and feet of Jesus is essential. So stand with me and let's sing one closing song and let's just sing about the glories of Christ. How marvelous is our God.
1: I stand. you sing a